For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm going to be joined by Jake Thomas, and we're going to talk about why your YouTube videos are failing. And trust me, solid gold, solid gold inside of this episode. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. And now for this week's interview with Jake Thomas. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Jake Thomas. If you don't know who Jake Thomas is, he's a YouTube strategist and founder of Creator Hooks, a company that helps YouTube creators get more views. He also publishes the weekly Creator Hooks newsletter. Jake, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. So today, Jake and I are going to explore the importance of writing headlines on YouTube. And it's a little different on YouTube than it is in other mediums. And we're going to really get into some amazing ideas that you're going to be able to put to use right away. Now, Jake, before we get into that, I would love to hear your story. Talk to me about how you got into YouTube. Start wherever you want to start. Yeah. So um, I was working at a fishing company and I was the editor in chief. And one of my responsibilities was to write the YouTube titles and to publish the YouTube videos. And my boss, who was the owner of the company, he was really good at copywriting. So he would make me send the title to him before we published every video. And this is my first job as the editor-in-chief. And I was pretty bad at titles. And so I'd spend like an hour or two writing a couple of good titles. I'd send him over and he'd be like, eh, you know, I think you could do better. Why don't you try again? So I'd take like another hour, like, you know, just do my best to write. All right, this is the perfect title. And I'd send it to him again. And he'd be like, eh, you know, I don't like any of these. Why don't we just go with this? And he would write another title like in two minutes that was so much better than all of mine. And it was really frustrating. I actually thought that I was going to get fired because I was doing such a bad job. And then I didn't get fired. I stuck with it. And the thing that really clicked for me was modeling what worked for other channels. So we were a fishing company and I would look at like, let's say like a fitness channel and it'd be like how to get bigger arms in 30 days. So then I would take that same framework and say, how to catch more trout in three hours or less. So modeling what had already been proven to work really helped me write better titles. It helped me figure out what makes people click. My boss was happy. Our channel was growing. I had job security. And then you know, I started thinking, you know, if modeling works for our channel, you know, I bet it would work for other people. So I started a little newsletter. I started taking five good YouTube videos and breaking down like, you know, here's why they worked and here's the framework. And here's how you could use it for another channel. Real quick, just for a little bit of context. So what year was it approximately when you were working for this 
fishing company? And then when did you come out with your newsletter? Just so people have some sort of a time frame. Yeah. So I started working for the fishing company in 2018 or 19. Okay. So I worked for them for two and a half years. So we did two YouTube videos a day, two blog posts a day, and two email subject lines a day. Wow. So over that time, I wrote like 4,000 titles. So I got a, a ton of reps in. And yeah, the biggest thing was modeling. So early last year in uh, 2021, I started writing the newsletter and then I started getting feedback and people were saying, hey, like this really helped. You know, thank you so much for doing this. And people started sharing it. So then last summer, I ended up quitting my job uh, to go all in on helping people write better YouTube titles. So I've got a couple of clients and I help them write better YouTube titles and come up with ideas. But I really just like focusing on the newsletter, trying to help people like me who you know are just getting started or even like people who know what they're doing, but they're busy and they want some extra inspiration. Just trying to help people write better YouTube titles now. It's fascinating. Some people that are regular listeners to the show know that I have a background as a copywriter. So I am like your boss with my employees. You know what I mean? Like they come to me with headlines and in seconds I rewrite the headlines because I don't know how many thousands and tens of thousands of headlines I've written. But it is really interesting because I don't have any formal training as a copywriter. My master and undergrad are in speech and I had to learn these techniques and it's through repetition and over and over again. But what I find even more fascinating about your story is you chose to go super narrow. You didn't decide to become like a headline writer in general. You didn't decide to become an email subject line expert. You decided to become a YouTube headline writer, right? So help me as a marketer, what was your thinking there? Uh, Why did you decide to go so narrow in that strategy, if you will? Yeah. So the first reason is that YouTube makes it really easy for you. So you can see how many views a video has. You can see when it was published. And then you can also see like all the views on the channel, all the other views from the video on the channel. So you can't do that with a blog post and you can't do that with email subject lines. Like I don't know if social media examiner, if if you guys send an email, I don't know how it did. But if you post a video on YouTube, I definitely know how it did. Ah, okay. So yeah, so you can just like reverse engineer. So it makes it so easy for you to figure out, all right, you know, this works and this doesn't. So tell us a little bit about the newsletter. Who's it for and what kind of information are you publishing just so people understand whether or not they should join it? Yeah. So the newsletter is mostly for educational channels and channels that are telling stories, not so much entertainment, although it the kind of the general themes do work well for entertainment, but some of it's a lot more thumbnail driven. And for educational channels, there's a lot of channels where like the thumbnail will be kind of the same. Like Gary Tan is an example of this where almost all of his thumbnails are the same, but you know, some of his videos do a lot better. And that's because often because those have better titles. So yeah, if you have a channel or if you work for a channel in the education or story industries, then then yeah, Creator Hooks is for you. There are some people that are a little skeptical that headlines alone are what, I mean, we're not saying they're alone, but first of all, there's some people that are like not even all in on YouTube that are listening to this, but those that are already been dabbling with YouTube for a while, help them understand why the headlines matter so much specifically on YouTube. What's the thing you want them to pay attention to? Yeah. So the headline or the title is a huge factor in when that people take into consideration if they're thinking about clicking. So if you have a boring title, nobody's going to watch your videos. So here's like an extreme example. But uh, I think Mr. Beast said that he invested like $4 million to produce his Squid Games video. And if he wrote like a bad title for that and no one clicked on it, 
then he just wasted $4 million, which is crazy. But then kind of like a less extreme example is, let's say that you know you are a kind of a solopreneur or you have like a small business and then you take the time, you know, two hours to script and produce a YouTube video. And then you have a boring title. If nobody watches that, then you just wasted your precious time. And also you didn't get any of the benefits that would have come if people had watched your videos. And then another kind of weird thing that I've been seeing recently is I have one channel that I do consulting for and all I do is A-B test their titles in TubeBuddy. And recently, two tests with two videos, one of the titles got a lot more impressions than the other one. So sometimes it doesn't happen, but it did happen in this case where like double the amount of impressions. Wow. So even like the click-through rate was about the same, but it was a better title. It was kind of like a big idea and YouTube thought it was a lot better and they just, they showed it twice as much. And this is this over a span of 14 days and this isn't like, you know, the day that the video is published. This is after a couple of days. And with one of the tests, it was after a couple of months. And that one with after a couple of months, I had like twice the impressions and about the same click-through rate. Wow. Very cool. So let's talk about some of the mistakes because clearly those of us that are publishing on YouTube and are not paying attention to our headlines are probably making mistakes that you see over and over again. So Maybe some of the things that you're seeing, and maybe you could just speak for a few minutes about like, hey, here's why this isn't working, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so there are five main mistakes that I found. The first is the wrong topic. So this is usually not something that your audience wants to hear from you. So one example, like if you have a fitness channel, you wouldn't really want to talk about like fashion. You know, that's not what people are subscribed to your channel for. So that's kind of like a, a big like a micro topic problem. Then you can also have like a like a micro topic problem. So if you have an Instagram channel, you're talking about how to grow on Instagram. If you talk about maybe like lighting for the perfect picture, that's another thing. It's a wrong topic. It's not why people subscribe to your channel. So that video might bust because it's not about the specific goal that people have in mind when they come to your channel. The next problem or next mistake that people make is their title is too wordy. So usually like kind of the the main hook or like the main topic is buried behind a pile of words. So this is a problem because one, YouTube truncates titles. So like the main subject, you might not even be visible. So of course, nobody's going to click on it. On that real quick, I think it's only 53 characters on the suggested video before you see the dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Or 49 or something close to that, right? Mm -hmm. So if you put the main part of the headline at the end, right, and it never makes it, they're never going to see it, right? Is that part of what you're really talking about there? Exactly. And then also people are just like quickly scanning, right? So if you just look at like the first three or four words of the title and you don't see anything that interests you, you're just going to scan on by. So that's another big mistake. So here's an example. Symptoms, causes, and treatments of stomach ulcers you must know. Wow. So it's about stomach ulcers, but you've got symptoms, causes, and treatments of. So there's just a ton of words in there. You know, it would be better written as stomach ulcer, symptoms, causes, and treatments you must know because you're kind of front-loading that title with the main hook and what it's about. Or even stomach ulcers, everything you need to know, something along yeah. those lines, right? Yes, exactly. But don't like bury the topic behind you know, a bunch of fancy words. Yeah, so no one's going to click there. So what else other than the wrong topic and too wordy, is there any other stuff that we need to be making sure we don't make these mistakes? Yeah. So one is too specific. Like specific, let's say you have like a tech review channel and you review like some obscure camera. If you're very specific with, you know, with the title, like, you know, shouting out the camera's name in the title, then not many people are going to click that. I mean, yes, 
if you're trying to get traffic from search, that's definitely going to work well. And that's you probably want to do that. But if you're trying to reach a broader audience, then no one's going to click, you know, like Nikon B500 review if they don't even know what that is. So the kind of the remedy for that is to label that. So you might say like best camera for shooting YouTube videos or best camera for nature photography. So you're not being too specific where you're automatically counting half the people out because they don't even know what that camera is. But you're bringing in a ton of people if you say, this is the best camera for this. And it's fascinating, by the way, because what you're doing by changing that title is one is you just have a feature headline, right? Like X camera model review, right? Versus best camera for blank, right? So there are people that are actively looking for the best camera for YouTube shoots or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So that's going to be much more appealing to a broader audience and presumably draw more people to it. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yep, definitely. What was the next thing you were going to say? The opposite of that is, so you got too specific and then you also have too general. So you might say like, you know, sticking with the camera example, best camera ever. Mm. So that's just very general. Anybody could watch that, but also like that doesn't really speak to a benefit, like you said. So in that case, you would say best vlogging camera, best camera for nature photography. Oh, uh, okay. So you put a qualifying uh, word in there. I like that. Yep, exactly. And then the last mistake is too boring. So if you don't give your audience a reason to care, they're not going to watch. So when I write a title or even come up with a topic, like you want to make sure that it passes the who cares test. You know, like if I said, hey, Mike, I'm going to make this video about this. And if you're like, okay, like who cares? And if the answer is nobody, then you don't make that that video. So an example of that is there's a finance channel. One of the videos was how to lower student loan interest rate. So that is pretty boring. It would do well for search. So there are times where you want to write a video like straight for search. But if you're trying to grow on YouTube and reach more people, just don't make videos about boring topics. Well, you could retitle it how to save thousands of dollars on your student loan, right? I mean, that would be far more interesting than the interest yep. rate itself. Again, it comes down to the feature versus the benefit, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Fascinating. So there's a lot of people right now that are listening that don't know where to start. Like you said in your story, the way you learned was you went out and you looked at a lot of other channels and stuff like that. So it sounds like a key part of your story was finding things to inspire you. Where can we find inspiration for our titles? Because what I love about the word you used earlier was modeling, right? Like you don't have to reinvent the wheel here if you have the right model. So where do we go to find great examples? Yeah, so uh, Russell Brunson popularized the Dream 100. And that's where you find companies who have the same customers as you and you either you model them or you work with them. And you can do that for YouTube as well. So your Dream 100 list would include all of your competitors. So if you have a nutrition channel, then you would look up all the other nutrition channels and that's how you find your topics. So you can look at their recent videos, see what's worked well for them. And then you can also sort by most viewed and you can see, all right, we, you know, what are the patterns here? What are the topics that do well? So once you have your topics, you don't want to straight up copy them, but you want to figure out how do you frame them in a way that, that will make people want to click. So I've come up with like the cousin of the Dream 100, which is the Model 100. Okay. And those are a list of channels who have a similar channel style to you or a similar business model. So if you are an educational channel, and let's say that, you know, like we were in the fishing channel or we had a fishing channel. So I would want other educational channels. I might want fitness or, you know, we did a lot of product reviews. So I would look up people who did camera reviews or laptop reviews or phone reviews or even like 
marketing and you know how to grow a business you know, all these how-to channels and you can see like what worked for them and then that's how you find frameworks that look for patterns like all right this framework worked well so i'm going to use that for my channel so you have your topics from your dream 100 and then you have your frameworks that get people to click from your model 100 i love this so what i'm hearing you say is first and foremost and this Dream 100 may not apply to all industries because if you're super narrow, there might not be a lot of YouTube channels, right? Yeah. But identify your competitors, look at what they're really doing well and notate what they're doing well and watch what they do really well at the very least to help you get inspiration for topical videos, things you should talk about, right? And then the Model 100 is more like style, right? So for example, if we take the industry that I'm in, the social media marketing industry, you've got all sorts of YouTubers that have all sorts of different styles, right? Like you've got Elise Dharma, you've got Vanessa Lau, and you've got all these other people and some of them tell stories. Other ones are fast talkers and they just get right to the meat of the matter. And in this case, are we looking at their titles and their style or what are we looking at exactly? I'm just curious in the model 100. Yeah. So in the, in the Model 100, I mean, you could look at both, right? You could look at their style and then you look at your style and be like, what do I want my channel to be like? You know, do I want to be kind of like a rigorous talking head video and just do like how-tos and, um, you know, warnings and lists and stuff? Or do I want to do more of like vlog and entertainment style? And you can see like, you know, what am I good at and what do I want to do? And then also you can look at like a, a business model. So Hrefs has a really good YouTube channel and they have a, a software product. So if you have a software product, you know it doesn't really matter what type of software, but you can see what Ahrefs is doing. And they are just doing like how-to content and they're using their software. So if I have a software company, I can say, okay, like I'm going to do how-to content and use my software. You know, And I'm not exactly copying Ahrefs, but they're just laying the groundwork for you. And you can see what works for them. What I like about this is, again, this Model 100 can be across any industry, right? So when you were in the fishing industry, you were looking at the fitness industry. And there's so many industries that are doing really, really creative things. And I would imagine when we find things that work, because you can tell when you go to their YouTube channel, and if you look at over the last few months, some videos have a lot more views than other videos, right? I would imagine at that point, we're reverse engineering a little bit about what they've done, right? What is it about that video? I guess it's not always the headline, right? The headline is an important part of it, but do you recommend documenting some of the videos that really performed well over the last few months and looking at those headlines and watching those videos also to kind of see what is it about those videos that's working? Yes, yeah, so that's like making a swipe file. Like, you know, like what I do for Creator Hooks is I have a big swipe file. I've got 200 videos, you know, why I kind of like have labeled them. All right, this worked because of this, this worked because of that but you can start your own personal swipe file. It's obviously free. If you see a video that you're like, man, I could do something similar to that, or this really did well for this channel. And this channel is just like mine. So let me copy and paste this into my little swipe file so that next time I'm coming up with a video, you know, trying to write a new title, I can reference this and this can inspire me again. Awesome. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Let's transition over to some actual tips that people can employ on their next video title. And before we get into this, I do want to ask a clarifying question because you did mention that you were running some split tests 
And I've been told in the past that split testing thumbnails is one thing, split testing titles, like TubeBuddy kind of warns you sometimes when you're split testing titles. Do you recommend to do this more on new videos or do you actually recommend taking a winning video and altering its title? Because I feel like I've been told in the past that that can re-index the video and you could end up losing a lot of benefit from it. Is that a fallacy or is that true? I mean, one thing I like to say is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't do that with a video that's just crushing it. But you know, definitely if a video is dead in the water, um, you could try to test it. The problem about videos that are just totally dead in the water is that you might not get enough impressions to make it valid. Right. So yeah, and I would just kind of play around with it. You could use that as like a testing ground for future videos. So you might want to kind of like sacrifice a video even if you have to. Yeah. And like, let me just test this because I think that this would work better, but I'm not sure. And I've got a lot of upcoming videos that are just like this. So let me see what how you know what TubeBuddy says about this. Well, and I'll give a little story. Back when Clubhouse was hot, I made some video tutorials on Clubhouse. And one of them was how to moderate Clubhouse room like a pro. Well, I happened to show up on Clubhouse and Sean Cannell, who's got a huge YouTube channel, was giving me some live feedback. And he said, hey, people that are new to Clubhouse, they don't know it's called moderation. So he said, you should probably change it to how to start and run a Clubhouse room like a pro. And the, the video was only out for like a day or two. And we changed it right there on the fly. And we watched the real-time analytics increase and like, boom, all of a sudden it did really well. And that video has done exceptionally well. So I would imagine you might realize right after you publish a video that there's something wrong with the video. And that's probably a good time to maybe take a second look at the headline, right? Yeah, definitely. And you know, again, if it's doing well, then don't mess with it. And then you can look at it like, you know, YouTube gives you so many stats to look at to actually see, all right, like, you know, what's going on. And so you can look at the click-through rate and like, okay, like, you know, I know that this is a good topic and I know that this is a good thumbnail. So the problem is probably how I framed it. You know, let's try a different angle. Let's maybe do like a, a fear angle or a curiosity angle. Or you can try to think like, you know, I wasn't really sure about this topic and it's clearly busting. So I'm just going to move on to the next one. Or you could say like, you know, this title style has worked really well in the past. And this topic is a proven topic for our channel. It must be the thumbnail. So I'm going to change the thumbnail. So let's talk about how do we write a good title for YouTube? I know we've been hinting all along, but what are some of the things we need to be thinking about when we're writing a title or headline, whatever we want to call it for YouTube? Yeah. So you really want to think about the, the three emotions that make people click. So you've got fear, desire, and curiosity. And usually it's fear plus curiosity or desire plus curiosity. As you're looking through like your model 100 and your dream 100, like think about, you know, how those channels are leveraging those emotions and, you know, think about how something is making you feel. And then also try to look at what is working kind of in your industry. Like, are there a lot of videos based on fear or are there a lot of videos based on desire? Yeah. So really just think about those three emotions. Let's trigger in on each of these. Talk to me about fear versus desire versus curiosity just a little bit. Let's just kind of, why is it that this works so well on YouTube? And, and, and what is it about each of these things? Because obviously there's some psychology going on here, right? Yeah. So fear, here's a good quote from Cashvertising, the book. Fear causes stress and stress causes action. So I love that. And usually that action is is having people click your video. And you know, you can kind of substitute fear and negativity. So you think about like a car crash. Like if you drive by a car crash, like you can't help but look. Just, people love drama. 
And, you know, they have the kind of the saying in news, like if it bleeds, it leads. So yeah, fear and negativity just work really well on YouTube. Then also, I think like we're biologically wired to listen to like warnings. Because if I'm like, hey, Mike, we're cavemen, it's uh, 10,000 years ago or whatever. And I'm like, hey, there are some berries over there in that field. You should go pick them. You might be like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, maybe I'll go get them tomorrow or later or something. I'm not in a big rush. Or if I say, hey, Mike, there's a saber-toothed tiger over there in that field. You're going to say, okay, I'm definitely not going. So it's like the difference of literally like life or death. Like a benefit is like, oh yeah, cool, maybe. But like fear and warning, like you pretty much have to listen to that. So I think, yeah, I think that's just like a biological thing. And then desire is kind of, you know, talking about like benefits versus features. Like, you know, just really thinking about what people want. What are the benefits? Thinking about like labeling videos as the or cameras as the best camera for YouTube or the best vlogging video. And also just thinking about, yeah, just really what do people want? And you can figure that out by what we talked about with the Dream 100, seeing what topics work well. You can think about like, you know, what have your customers been asking you? You can look at comments. So look at like some of the popular videos of your competitors and saying, what are people commenting on theirs? Like if someone's saying, hey, like that's cool, but like I don't understand this. So that's a great way to come up with ideas, looking at other people's comments and just trying to get ideas from them especially if you're not big enough where a ton of people are commenting on your video and asking you further questions. And then you've got curiosity. And curiosity is like the strongest emotion that makes people click. So in uh, Creator Hooks, I got a big swipe file and I've kind of codified everything. And curiosity is the most, like 55, I think, percent of the videos have some element of curiosity, 55% or more. So curiosity is a great skill to have, although it's definitely an art of trying to evoke curiosity. You can open a loop. So it's like starting a story, but not really telling it. You can reveal a secret. We can talk about examples with these if you want. Yeah, yeah. Real quick, before we go there, I'm glad you brought up that curiosity seems to be about half or more than half. So if this was a pie chart, the remaining 45%, where do you find fear versus desire? Because I would imagine a lot of marketers are probably just doing the desire thing completely because that's how we've been trained as marketers. You talk the phrase like desired outcomes, you know what I mean? And dreams and future realities and all that kind of stuff is kind of what we're selling a lot of the time, but we're probably scared to go talk fear and negativity. So of the remaining 45%, like break the pie chart down. If it's 55, you know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, I do. So, you know, a title can have multiple elements. Okay, yeah, yeah. And most of these videos, they have like at least two elements. So the elements are, we've got curiosity at 55%. We got negativity at 39%. We've got a list at 26%. And then timeliness, authority is after that. And then we've got kind of like the, I guess the long tail. We've got deep desire. So like just talking about like something that everybody wants. You've got timeframes, beginner tips, kind of extremes, and then like refuting an objection. So the biggest ones are curiosity, negativity, lists, timeliness, and then authority. So the desire thing is, if I'm hearing you properly, then the desire thing is somehow worked into these curiosity things and worked into these fear things. So that's an important take home for a lot of people because it shouldn't stand on its own, right? Like how to book the perfect vacation in San Diego might be desire, but we can make it so much better. Like how to avoid scams on your next vacation to San Diego would be far better, right? Yeah. And the reason this works well for YouTube is because YouTube is largely a discovery platform. So it's not going to rank on the first page of Google. 
Because one, people aren't searching for that. And two, it just seems like all of the results on Google are desire, are benefits driven. And that's intent-based versus kind of discovery. And as you're scrolling on YouTube, you know, all these different titles are jumping out at you and you, you have the option to click on what you want. And just fear works really well. So yeah, so definitely do that if you're looking to kind of grow your audience and reach new people. You know, negativity and fear just are great for that. Now, I want to get into examples of all of these things in just a second, but some people listening right now, things are starting to click inside their brain. They're like, okay, hold on a second now. If I can get this to work on YouTube, that means I can use this in my email subject lines. That means I can use this in my blog posts, which might rank in search. Is that true? I mean, it feels like this is the playground, the Petri dish upon which you can apply it to other mediums of marketing, right? Yeah, definitely. That's like my big epiphany of my entire life. So just looking at what is working on YouTube and then applying that to everything. So I've got a, a blog about golden retrievers, goldenhearts.co. And it's like my sandbox for testing different things. And so I write an email a week and I publish a blog post a week. And then I've been working on a little bit of YouTube recently. And what is working on YouTube is working really well for my email subject lines. You know, I did a series of golden retriever puppies and it was like two month old golden retriever puppies, three month old, four month old, five month old. And the three and the four month old golden retriever puppy email subject line was, it had a pretty bad click through rate. And so it would be like four month old golden retriever puppies, you know, biting, chewing, and jumping. And people didn't really seem to like it that much. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to switch things up because I had a, a blog post about five month old golden retriever puppies. And like we talked about earlier, being too specific. So five month old golden retriever puppies is too specific. It was also kind of boring and it was kind of self selecting. People are automatically, you know, if I have a four month old golden retriever puppy, I'm not going to watch. Or if I have an eight month old, I'm not going to watch. So instead, I titled it Why Teenage Golden Retrievers Are the Worst. You're using uh, some negativity there and I'm labeling, you know, teenage golden retrievers versus like very specific. And that got double the click through rate. Fascinating. Okay, so let's talk about some ways that we can use these emotions in our YouTube videos. I know you've got some examples, so start firing away because I would love to hear them. Because, you know, again, we talked about fear. We talked about curiosity. Curiosity being one of the best things you can do, followed by fear and, of course, desire. And you said some of the best titles combine potentially two or all three of these things together. So let's hear some examples and let's kind of break down what's actually going on with these examples. Cool. Yeah. So we could probably talk for hours about curiosity. So a couple of ways to build curiosity. I mentioned it earlier, just opening a loop. So that's starting a story, but not finishing it. So some examples, the number one skill you're missing to make running easier. So you're starting a story, but you're not finishing it there. You know, the ugly truth about entrepreneurship. It's like, all right, you know, what is the truth? So they create like a curiosity gap and you got to click to figure out, you know, what's going on. You want to finish that story. You got to fill that gap. So you can open a loop. You can also reveal a secret. Wait, wait, we got to talk about this for a second. Okay, so we'll get back to that secret thing in just a second. But the number one skill you're missing to make running easier. Many people could say, all right, well, he's just giving me a model. The number one skill you're missing to improve your marketing. The number one skill you're missing to improve your parenting, right? I mean, like you just start substituting whatever your thing is inside of it. And all of a sudden, you've got some extreme curiosity that might do very well, right? <laughs> exactly. And my guess is you found this by seeing this being used by other YouTubers, right? 
Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was just, you know, I'm browsing YouTube all the time now trying to look for, you know, what are these frameworks that are working really well? And that's what I started using those, the fishing company. And I was like, wow, these frameworks are killing it. So the secret, you're about to say something about a secret or something like that. So yeah, you know, another way to build curiosity is reveal a secret. So one example, the real cost of starting an Airbnb that no one tells you. So you're, you're revealing a secret there uh, using contrast. So this is one of the harder ways to build curiosity, but it can be really effective. So using contrast is just really pitting two opposite words or pairing two opposite words together. So the healthy foods that you should absolutely not eat and cheap things that upgrade your style, right? Like, uh, you know, why would you not eat healthy foods? Like that doesn't make any sense. How can cheap things upgrade your style? Like that, neither of those, you know, pairing those two words together just don't make sense. So that builds a lot of curiosity. Okay, real quick. So the real cost of starting an Airbnb that no one tells you, is that just curiosity or is there more to curiosity? Because it sounds like there's also fear in there too, right? On that particular one, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, there's fear You know that nobody tells you, like you know, no one tells you this. You've got some negativity there. So someone might be tempted to just say the real cost of starting blank, but you can make it so much better by adding that no one talks about or that no one tells you or that no one wants you to know or Airbnb doesn't want you to know, right? Something along those lines, right? Oh yeah, you're adding some drama to it. Now, on the healthy foods that you should never eat, is that also revealing a secret or was that something completely different? That was contrast. Okay, so the contrast thing, let's talk about that a little bit more. So healthy foods you should never eat don't make a lot of sense, obviously. And I guess we're talking to marketers, right? And marketers are probably like, that sounds a little spammy to me, right? So how do you use contrast in a way that doesn't come across as spammy because the last thing they want to do is attract an audience with a clickbaity headline and then get a lot of negative comments. So is there a way to use contrast that doesn't come across or is this one we should use with caution, if you will? Yeah. I mean, kind of with all of them, there's like, there's the dial, like the clickbait dial, right? You could dial it all the way up or you could like really dial it down. You know, yes, a lot of the curiosity stuff can sound like clickbait, but you know, cheap things that upgrade your style that may be my uh, clickbait. Yeah, that's not bad. Okay, good. <laughs> no, that's not bad because like, obviously, yeah, cheap things that update your style, that doesn't sound clickbaity. You know what I mean? Because normally think people assume stylish things are costly, right? So yes, I actually like that quite a bit. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that my clickbait dial is not just totally out of whack. I've been doing, doing this for too long. <laughs> so, okay, keep going with your examples. Are we still on the curiosity examples? Yeah, yeah. You can also talk about the future. So like, you know, the one, one example, like the best and worst kitchen trends for 2022. So, you know, if you publish this kind of in the beginning of the year, you're all right, these are the trends that are coming up. And, you know, just talking about the future is kind of inherently just interesting and builds curiosity. And now real quick on this one, most people would say the best trends, right? Mm -hmm. The best kitchen trends for 2022. Yep. You added and worst in there, right? So you added the negativity into it where others would be tempted to not talk about that. That's another important take-home lesson, folks, is like, you know, X trends aren't as powerful as X trends and mistakes or X trends. And I don't know, I mean, I don't have the best and worst or the the pros and cons or whatever. I mean, like, it sounds like you have to add that if you really want to get that extra amount of click. And then also the for 2022, there's some people that are like, well, why do I want to say for 2022 if it's an evergreen video? What do you want to say to them? Yeah. I mean, I get the evergreen video argument, but timeliness is so powerful, especially in the new year where 2022 is on everybody's mind. So like kind of in December, 
and like January and a little bit of February, like throw in 2022 in like every single video. And then it gets a little bit less effective as kind of time goes on. Well, you could change it to 2023 if you wanted to later. You don't want to do that if it takes off, obviously, right? Well, YouTube is very open and transparent. So you're going to see the date. So if I see a video that says in 2022 and it was published in 2020, I'm kind of automatically going to have a little bit less respect for that creator because they're trying to game the system. Awesome. Keep going. What else you got? You've been talking about the fear, like you pointed that out a lot. And one of my favorite examples, it's Pay It Forward. They have a channel, P-A-Y-E-T-T-E, so Pay It Forward. And they make tech review or tech videos. And one of their best kind of themes is iOS settings that you should turn off. Oh. They do a a one-two punch. (laughs) And I hope I'm not like outing them on their like their best strategy right now. When iOS 15 first launched, it was, you know, iOS 15 settings you should turn on. And their next video was iOS 15 settings that you should turn off. Ah, okay. So you have like a very clear example of turning on and turning off there. So negativity and positivity. And I think their channel, like most of their videos get like 50 or 100,000 views. And this was in November. And they got the iOS 15 settings you should turn on. This is is really timely. This is when it was published. So they jumped on that trend. That got like 300,000 views or something. So it did really well for their channel, like, you know, two, three, four times the views. iOS 15 settings that you should turn off got like 3 million views. Wow. So it did like 10 times better. So that was a great lesson in like positivity versus negativity. Like, yeah, it's just moving away from pain. Uh, People love that. But also that is a great strategy because if you watch the video, iOS 15 settings that you should turn off, the kind of natural reaction is, okay, like now I know what not to do. What do I do? So at the end of that video, you say, all right, now you know what what not to do here or what settings to turn off. Here are settings that you should turn on. So that one-two punch and YouTube loves like an increased session time. So they'll, people will naturally go to that next video and you've got two 15-minute videos. Next thing you know, you spent 30 minutes on their channel. YouTube is happy. You're happy. YouTube is you know pushing your video as much as it can because people are spending a lot of time in your channel. And that drive, the settings that you should turn off, it's fear-based, you know, it drives a lot of clicks. And then the ease of transition, you know, increases the session time. So that's a great move for YouTube channels to pull. Well, and I would imagine these two examples that you just gave are also a curiosity. They, they trigger that curiosity thing, right? Yep. Do you have any other curiosity examples that you want to throw out? Yeah. Okay. You can challenge assumptions. So if everybody is assuming one thing, you can go against the grain. Ah. It's like just a counterintuitive title. So from a channel that teaches YouTube, they made the video, I've stopped asking people to subscribe. And that challenges your assumptions. Okay, why would you stop asking people to subscribe? Like best practices, like, you know, that works really well. That doesn't make any sense. So that's going to make you click because it doesn't make any sense to you. Wow. Everybody's like, don't stop. Don't stop, Jake. This is so good. Jake, first of all, tell everybody where they can get your Creator Hooks newsletter and where they can discover more about you because I'm convinced that after hearing our dialogue, a lot of people are going to have a bazillion different ideas. I'm even going to get creative potentially with the headline for this actual podcast episode. (laughs) I'm going to consult with Jake. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's called YouTube Headlines That Convert. We'll see what Jake and I come up with if it's changed. But Jake, where can people discover more about you and get signed up for your newsletter? Yeah. So just go to creatorhooks.com. 
if you, when you sign up, you'll get an ebook. It's free. We talked about like some of the uh, kind of spiciness factors that I've been calling them. So like fear, curiosity, and the ebook will tell you all of those 10 spiciness factors. It'll tell you how to use them and you'll get some examples. And then, yeah, it's just a weekly newsletter. And it's really just about all that we've talked about today. Do you have a preferred social platform if people want to reach out with you on the socials? Yeah, on uh, Twitter at jthomas underscore underscore. It's got two underscores. Wow. There. Okay. jthomas underscore underscore. J, not Jake, right? J-A-Y? Uh, just J, the letter J. Oh, just the letter J. Okay, that's important. J and then the word Thomas underscore underscore. <laughs> All right, yeah. I'm glad I asked for that clarification. Jake Thomas, not J Thomas. Thank you so much for coming on <laughs> yeah. and sharing all your wisdom and insights with us. We're better because of it. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 506. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, let your friends know about this show. I'm at Stelzner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.